Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Good morning. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's so great to, to see all of you. Um, something happened this last week. I, I, don't know, I don't know when it was or how it exactly happened, but there's a moment in the middle of this heat wave, right, that we're all experiencing. I had the whiff, the thought, my mind went towards fall. Anyone? I don't know why it happened. Maybe it's just, I'm just like, it's an escapism from my body, just giving up and like just thinking of good thoughts towards fall. Maybe it was a a leaf on a tree just finally gave up and says, I quit and was falling to the ground. And in the corner of my eye, I saw this thing and I thought, that's right. Fall's coming. Say it with me now. Fall's coming. Pumpkin spice is coming. Yes. For the, for the record, I've said Jesus at least five times and did not, did not get an applause for Jesus. But pumpkin spice rears its head and it's all, we're all celebrating at this point. But as I was considering fall, I was, I was thinking about my youth. When I, when I was younger, my most excited time of my youth was the day before the first day of school. So when I think of fall, I think of all the kids going back to school. Um, I have teenage daughters. I'm kind of over them sleeping till two, if you know what I'm saying. Like I'm ready for them to get back into the routine of things. But for me, the day before the first day of school was so exciting. I remember getting with some of my friends and, and comparing schedules. And I go, hey, I got gym first hour. I got this second hour. I got English third hour. And they would say some, some, and they go, I have English third hour. And I went, wait, what? Are you saying you and I actually have the same class, the same teacher, the same hour? Yes, and we would rejoice in there. Like, yes, my best friend and I have class together. And you know how it is in high school. They trust you a little more, so they let you pick whatever seat you want to sit in, and that's your seat for the semester. So we get there early. We pick the seats right next to each other in the back of class because that's where the... (laughs) This is where the cool people sit. Huh? (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry about you. So anyways, we sit, and the teacher walks in and immediately goes, Jeff, move, Rich, move. <laughs> and I said, I don't understand. I thought we could pick our own seats. And I went through all this in my mind. And then I flash back to a time in grade school. I remember the teacher coming to me um, all the time. And tell me if this was your experience in grade school too. But my teacher would come to me all the time and she would say, hey, Jeff, gather up all your stuff. We're going to let you work in the hall for a while. <laughs> was, was this not your experience of school? It was, it was my every week experience. <laughs> Jeff, grab, grab all of your worksheets. You'll, you'll get them finished outside. We'll let you study outside. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't need to go out into the hallway. I know this stuff. I, I've known it. The second time you taught it, I, I assimilated. I know all of this. I don't need to go sit by myself in the hallway. I can do this in the classroom. What I didn't know is that me sitting next to my best friend or me sitting close to someone who already assimilated the knowledge as well is that we became a distraction for everyone else who was trying to learn it and understand it for themselves. 
because of my knowledge, I already gained it. I'm bragging to myself here because I, I could learn stuff quickly. I actually become a detriment to the class. What I did not know then that I know now that teachers actually keep a list of students. They recommend do not sit together in school. <laughs> <laughs> they say, you have Jeff and Rich in a class? Oh, you, you are going to separate them day one. And I think about this. Um, I remember my wife and I were just married. We haven't had children yet. We're in our mid-20s, and we thought it a good idea to coach a middle school boys' soccer team. And we begged for it. We said, please, give us a team we want to coach. They finally relented, gave us a roster of 16, 12-year-old boys and a plastic whistle and said, you're in charge. <laughs> and it was teaching these young boys how to soccer, if you will. Um, I experienced what my teachers experienced all my growing up. There's a couple boys over here in the corner who understand the drills, who understand what's happening, and they're goofing off the entire time. And because of this, I can't run the drill. I can't educate everyone else how to make this thing happen. They don't understand an overlap pass or a wall pass. They don't understand any of these things. And I'm guys, just knock it off over here for a minute, just for a minute. I know you know this already, but if you could help us learn all of this, that would be ideal, is what I'm driving towards. We went 0-18-1 that year. <laughs> Oh, 18, which means, if you don't know what this means, we lost every game. <laughs> Despite my willingness and desire to teach them, because they, the few guys over here kept distracting everyone else, the rest of the team couldn't get it. Okay, and all that to say, today I, I have a feeling God wants to speak to us. I, I take that out. I don't have a feeling. I'm convinced of this. The Lord wants to speak to each of us about our, our maturity in the things of God. That he wants to address some things in us and through us. And it is for our good benefit and his worship that we would mature and to grow and to understand these things. The unfortunate reality, though, is that there's some of us in the class, if you will, who already have an understanding of what I'm about to say, and you're already thinking of disengaging for the rest of the talk. You already think, oh, this is, this is rudimentary. This is, this is basic stuff. And because of that, you're not going to consider the rest of everyone else who desperately needs to learn this and hear this and understand this. That God is desperate that we grow up and understand who he is. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing a letter, which is we're going, we're going to read some of it today in 1 Corinthians. He's writing a letter to Christians that are in a city called Corinth. This city, as we've been talking about over these past many weeks, is an incredibly, uh, to use the Bible words, pagan or debaucherous or wicked city. It was a port city filled with sailors. May I say no more? I'll just, I'll just throw that out. And money. Sailors with discretionary income. I'm just saying that. And so this city was just filled with pagan worship, idol worship. Archaeologists have unearthed no less than 26 different pagan temples in this region in Greece. Paul is writing a letter to Christians in this city saying, I know God has come and revealed Jesus, his son, to you, and I know you understand that. But this pagan worship that's happening around you, you need to consider disengaging from it. We'll talk about what this means. For the sake of the other brothers and sisters in the church. 
There's a maturity level that God wants to bring to them that should we listen in, should we lean into it, that God might bring some level of understanding for us that I believe would benefit not just you and you, but would benefit us. If I had a moment to confess with you, and I think I have that moment now, I would say this, I see immaturity in the church around us. I see immaturity in the leadership, in, in this church right here. And I fault myself most days. I fault myself because maybe I'm the one that's goofing off, being a distraction, taking the knowledge that I have and confusing others through it. This will all make sense when I read the passage. But know this, this is Paul's heart. He's addressing people. He says, listen, there's something available to us if we just pay attention. So if you want to follow along, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll start in verse 1. Words on the screen will help you. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. It's a question they have. They're asking Pastor Paul, what do you think about this? He's responding to their question. And it'll make more sense the further we get along. So don't get confused here. It says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge, end quote. Now this knowledge, he warns, puffs up, but love, he said, would build up. Now if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone, he says, loves God, he is then known by God or has the knowledge, the true knowledge of God. Verse four, therefore, back to the question as to the eating of food offered to idols. We know this, that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many idols or lords, yet for us, he would say, for us Christians, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things are and for whom we exist. And one Lord, he would say, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7, however, he says, not all possess this knowledge or understanding. Some, he says, through former association with idols, they continue to eat food as really being offered to an idol, and their conscience is being made weak. It is becoming defiled. Food, he says, is not a command. Food will not commend us rather to God or make us worse off if we don't eat it, nor better off if we do. But take care, he says. That this, is, this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating at an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged or built up in his conscience if it's weak to eat the food offered to these idols? And so verse 11, he says, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. This weak person is destroyed. The brother, he adds, for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding the conscience when it is weak, you also sin against Christ. Therefore, Paul adds this. If food makes my brother stumble, then I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. If this is a stumbling block for them, then I will never do it again. In this church, there are some who have an understanding and some who are gaining the understanding, working their way towards the understanding. And even though the understanding, Paul would say, is in fact true, it's biblical, it's right, the exercise of the freedom that that understanding gives you is causing harm to others, pointing to an ultimate reality, they're just being immature. And so I want us to hear from God today. So if you 
If you don't mind, would you just pray with me? God, we just ask that you come to us. We, we are desperate to mature, to grow, to experience everything that you would lay before us in this world. And for, for, for us, we, we have to strive towards that growing and maturing to, as the Bible says, to be conformed into the image of or to become like Jesus, your son. And we ask that you do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us today, opening our, our eyes and our ears so we could see and we can hear that our minds would be uh, a fertile soil for you to, to plant this truth, that our hearts would be so moved to respond to these words. God, we yield our lives before you. We submit is the language the Bible uses before you that you might instruct us and lead us and guide us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. The temple of Aphrodite, Poseidon, Hermes, Zeus, all of them littered the landscape in Corinth. And they would bring sacrifices to the temples in worship of these gods. And they would offer these animals, and not just like to, to kill the animal and then to just throw it on the fire and let it turn to, to ash. They would butcher the animals and then prepare the food and then invite everyone in the community to come and feast with them. And the idea is this, while we're sacrificing an animal to this God, when you're eating it, you're worshiping that same God. Amen. Now, the, in the middle of all of this, the gospel of Jesus, the truth of Jesus comes into the city and many people go, that don't make sense to me anymore. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And Paul's like, yes, and amen, let's continue to do that. But this practice of idol worship, of food being offered to these other idols is still commonplace. And so many Christians coming to faith were struggling with the draw to go back to their old ways. Is anyone, is this resonating with some of us here? I remember as a young Christian coming to faith and feeling really um, a desire to serve God, be used by God, and then every once in a while, a weekend or two would come up and I would just find myself drifting towards old things. Well, God wouldn't want that for us and God didn't want that for the people in Corinth. So he is speaking against that. But he comes at it not whether or not eating meat is right or eating meat is wrong. He comes at it from a different angle. And I need you to see this because this is where for us maturity will come. Paul comes to the Christians there in verse 1 and says, hey, about this issue you have, know this, you're saying all of us possess this knowledge, that there's this knowledge that we have. Psst, just so you know, spoiler alert, all those other idols, they're fake. They're not real. There's only one God who's real, and it's Jesus. We all know that, right? And they know this. They believe this. But Paul stands on this. Not that that's incorrect, but he warns them. The knowledge that you have is a dangerous thing to have. He, is if you're not careful, you don't check the knowledge you have. If you use knowledge alone to lead your existence and your life, you have the danger of causing harm to yourself and to others. This knowledge, he said, can puff you up. What does that mean? puff you up. It can, make you, it can make you prideful. It can cause you to walk away from meekness and humility and humbleness, which is the pattern that Jesus has made for us. So your knowledge left unchecked causes people to swell. I have an experience of this, if, if it's okay. I was in college um, at university. It's my junior or senior year. I don't remember which. I'm taking the real classes in college. 
like the 300 level courses. If you've ever been to university, you know this to be true. The first two years are just high school plus. Say amen. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, all this stuff, I'm like, I sh you should know this already. <laughs> I'm just saying. But come junior year, you're really starting to get into abstract thought. The professors are doing things in your mind, causing you to think differently, causing you to see things differently. I remember sitting in a marketing class, I have a communications degree, sitting in this class, a professor rips an advertisement from a page, uh, from a magazine, and he hands it to me, he says, what do you see, Jeff? And, and I don't remember exactly what it was, it was a bottle, it was Coke or Bud Light, we'll go with Coke, I have no idea. <laughs> but it was this Coke, and it was just kind of sweaty and had dew on it. And it looked good, and in my mind, I'm going, oh, that, that tastes good. Like, I, I'm just looking at the picture, and I could taste it, if you know what I mean? And the professor comes to me, and says, Jeff, what do you see? I said, I see a Coke. He says, are you sure? And I'm like, I know Coke. Everyone knows this. Coke is better than Pepsi. Say amen. No. 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 Pepsi drinkers? Pepsi drinkers? Yes. There's a church down the street. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll fit elsewhere, I'm just saying. No, I know Cokes. I know, I've had many Cokes. I snuck Cokes. I mean, I, I know them. I, I'm looking at this. And he goes, are you sure this is a Coke? I said, yes. Are you convinced this is a Coke? I said, no, yes. He goes, would it shock you to know it's actually not a Coke at all? It's just, it's actually colored dots on a page forming an image that your mind then extrapolates what this is. And your mind already starts to think about what it is, how it must taste and how it feels in your hand. What you have in your hand, Jeff, is not a Coke, but the representation of a Coke. And your mind is twisted. Now, I'm like, mind blown, right? So imagine how much fun I was when I went home for Thanksgiving that year. And I rip a page out of a magazine and hand it to my friends. What do you see there? I see a Coke. Do you really? Are you convinced? And I'm laboring into all of this newfound knowledge that I have. And they're saying to me, Jeff, you're a moron. Get away from me. I don't care. I don't care. Knowledge left unchecked. Knowledge in complete control in the driver's seat, if you will, without a, a, another co-pilot also leading can do damage to you. It can do damage to you and can do damage to other people. Paul is addressing this. This isn't an issue of meat. This isn't an issue of right or wrong. This is an issue on what you're basing your life on, your knowledge. You, you run a risk of being puffed up and prideful, and I assure you, pride always comes before the fall, he says. We must not be prideful people. But if, if we take knowledge and we place in the driver's seat with it or in the co-pilot seat, however you want to think of this, if we place in it love, he says, where, where knowledge can puff up, love builds up or love edifies, it encourages. If we do that, then we're on the right path. The question is not right or wrong. The question is not can I or can't I. The question is why are you making the decisions that you're making? Is it solely based upon knowledge or are you, are you driven by another thing? Is love at all an, an aspect of the decisions that you're making? Is love at all a part of who you are as a follower of Christ? That's the question. I love you. You can be right fully in your theology. You can be right in everything you believe doctrinally. You can be right in all these things. And should you have no love, Paul, the apostle, would say you are nothing but a crashing symbol to the world around you. A gong. Who wants to hear that every day? If anyone, he says, imagines that he knows something, he does not even know as he ought to know. I, I love that Paul uses the word imagined. The people who know things think they know them. And Paul's going, eh. you think, you imagine you know something. Can I, can I tell you this? 
you, you will never know everything there is to know about anything. You, you, you cannot know everything there is to know about anything. You can even take a good thing like Jesus. I can never know everything about Jesus. And here's why I say that. You and I are finite individuals. We have limits to what we can know. We have limits to what we can understand. Paul understands this, and he's reminding them, be careful you don't lean on knowledge too much because you think you have it figured out, and oh, I love you. You actually might not. You might not. Something else at work here. It needs to be love. Be careful that you don't just lean upon what you think you know. I will say this. There is one who knows everything about everything. I know him. I follow that guy. That's where I'm headed. God, his son Jesus, his Holy Spirit, he's the one who knows it all. So if I'm making decisions, here's maybe a a point of um, application to us. If I'm making decisions on my life, am I following God in them or am I just basing it upon what I think I know? I don't know. You have to decide. You have to figure this out. This is part of the growth thing. And Paul's warning just stands before all of us. Just be careful that what you're doing is not just based on, well, I learned it in Bible study or learned it in Sunday school or I learned it in, from my aunt and uncle or I learned it from, just be careful, is, is what he would say. If anyone, he says, verse three, loves God, he is then known by God. If anyone loves alongside, alongside his knowledge, then he's experienced the experiencing the true knowledge that can change lives. Then, then you're experiencing the, the true way of maturity and Christ-likeness. It's knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. In fact, all of Scripture would command us to seek knowledge. We need knowledge. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 says, listen, destruction chases those who hate knowledge. Do you want destruction chasing you? The answer is no. No, no. Seek knowledge. Jesus asking, being asked by others, Jesus, rabbi, sir, teacher, pardon, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love your God with everything you have, all of your heart, your soul, your what? Your mind. So flex them mental muscles, everyone. Yay. And the second, he said, is just like that command. It's to love other people. You, you, you can't do one without the other. And if you do one without the other, you run, you run the risk of, of um, running your ship ashore. Yes? This is Paul's issue. It's not right or wrong, can I or can't I. Who's making decisions for you? Your knowledge that leads to pride and arrogance. Is it love, which has no place for truth sometimes? Or is it, is it a marriage of both of those together, driving who you are? Anyways, he continues. Therefore... Just so we start with that. I know you want an answer, but let's start with your pridefulness, he says. Verse 4, therefore, as the eating of a food offered to idols. All right, now we'll get to your question. Or so we think. (laughs) Read Paul. Here we go. So he goes, as far as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, quote, an idol has no real existence, end quote. This is their argument to him. Paul, we know this. You know this. You've told us that there is no other. Those idols are fake. They're false. Those aren't even real gods. You've, you've told us that. He says, I know that. He goes, and th- this is true, that there is no God but one. We know this to be true. 
He says, even though there are maybe so-called gods in heaven or on the earth, idols on the earth, indeed, there are many gods and many idols here. saying there are people out there who truly believe in these things. And yet for us, for those of us who are Christians, we don't believe in that anymore. We believe in one God. There is one God. And again, it's the, the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all that stuff. So he's, he's not arguing against their theology. He thinks their theology is correct. In fact, he's taught them their theology. It's not the issue. The issue is that people still believe in them. They're the ones that are still struggling with them. And Paul lays out for us a doctrine of monotheism. We believe in one God versus the Corinthians who were polytheists and believe in all kinds of different gods. And for the Christians in the day that had this knowledge that God is one, and we don't have to worry about these, they just saw the other pagan temples just as a, a buffet table. To them, it was golden corral every day, which is gross. Because y'all don't wash your hands between trips. I'm just saying. Golden Corral fan right there. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> to them, it was nothing more than just a buffet. To them, it was just nothing more than a meal. Paul says, you don't understand. There are, there are people in the city who see it differently than you. And when, every time you walk in and you, you dine with Aphrodite and the goddess that she is and fertility and Poseidon who controls the waves and earthquakes. And all. Every time you go there and eat with them, you're telling the world around you that they have some weight, that they have some strength in your life. That's what you're telling them. I know you don't believe it, but it's what you're saying to them. And the ultimate reality is you're causing some people to trip, to fall, to not find the true God because of this. I know you know right. I know you know you're tripping someone else up. You're causing discomfort for someone else. He continues, he says, you're damaging other people. He says, verse 7, however, as I've already said, not everyone possessed this knowledge about God. Not all of them do. Many of them, through their former association with these idols, they eat the food as really being offered to the idol. So let me lay this out. It's not just that the Christians with knowledge are going to these temples to feast on food sacrificed to a false god. They're inviting their younger brothers and sisters to come along for the ride. You should come with us. I hear at Aphrodite's temple, it's ham. It's ham this week or turkey legs, whatever your thing is. Like, you should come. It's crab legs. It's crab season. I have no idea. They're saying, why don't you come with us to the temple? But they don't understand that those people have been sort of caught up in that idolatrous living for, for decades. Jesus has come and freed them from that, and now, now you're dragging them back to the very place that they, they've been pulled out of? He says, you, you, you don't know what you're doing to them. It's not just that they're going, they're inviting others to come. You can imagine the phone call that comes at six. Hey, I'll be there to pick you up in a little bit. And the, and the young Christian's going, man, I don't know if I should go. I don't know if this is a thing, man. They're going, they're, they're like older than me. They know better. They've been in church longer than me. I guess it's okay. I, I guess I could go. I don't, I don't know if I should go or not. And they're, they're laboring over this decision and you're just making it because you know it's not even true. And you're damaging them, he says. And you're doing so with no concern of love for them. Your decisions are based on what you know. 
and it's fine for you, and you're harming other people. He says, you've caused their conscience, which is weak, to be defiled. Now, conscience, know this, it's not just like the little angel guy here and the devil guy on your shoulder that kind of watches everything you do, right? That's, that's, that's maybe our modern thinking of conscience. For Paul, the, the conscience was the, the moral compass of your life. It was the thing that decided for you what you did or did not do, not just watched what you did or did not do. It was the very motivator to do things. And he says, and you're harming the conscience of these weaker Christians. They're being defiled. And he just throws this out there, verse eight. Food was not gonna commend us to God one way or the other. We're not worse off if we don't eat it or we're not better off if we do. But take care in what you're doing. Take care, he says, because you are becoming a stumbling block to the weak. He says, if any of these young Christians see you who have knowledge eating in the temple, they're going to be encouraged to do the same thing. Their conscience is going to become weaker and weaker, and they're going to eat food offered to idols. They're going to jump into idol worship again after Jesus has painstakingly pulled them out of that. You have brought them back to that place. And so by your knowledge, he said, the weak person is destroyed. Hear hear me. This is not just... Uh, can we or can't we? Is this okay or not okay? This is a salvific issue. This is an issue of salvation for people around us. This matters more than we know. This is huge for us. Paul even says that this person who is being destroyed is the person, the brother, here in verse 11, for whom Christ died. you've you've levied, placed no value onto that person. You're making decisions based on what you know to be true with no concern whether it's harming someone else. And may I remind you, Paul would say, Jesus has died for them. There is, in fact, no greater value a person can can have than the, the reality that God sent his son Jesus to die for them. And the value that Jesus places upon them, you are trampling on. You have no concern for them. You're causing them to be destroyed. This is not an issue of can I or can't I. It's what's motivating you to do the things that you do. Historically, the church has done a... I won't talk about the church in a real negative light because it is the bride of Jesus, the Bible tells us. And I don't want to get up there and... Jesus go, uh, that was my bride you're talking about there for me. So slow your roll, son. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be that guy. And yet I think it's imperative we understand that there are some things the church has not done well. I mean, say amen, yes. Many things. And continue to not do well some days. Th- this passage has been used oftentimes to be the litmus test as to whether or not Christians have freedoms to do things or not do things. So in the church, we've struggled over things like this. Um, not, these are no particular order. I'm just throwing them out there. So don't like put a weighted grading on this. But um, um, our movies, can Christians see our movies? What about, what about tobacco? How about these little pop-up gaming places all over the place? What gambling, cards, drinking? There's the one, drinking. What about all, all of these things? 
I, I think that's the wrong idea. That's the wrong application for, for this at all. It's not whether or not we can or can't. It's what's motivating us to do the things that we want to do. Is it you and your selfishness and what you want and what you desire? Or is it the, to the benefit or to the love of other people? Our movies, this is the thing I remember. Again, I didn't grow up in a church, but I remember meeting Christians who used to say things like, they were not allowed to go to movie theaters at all when they were younger. The idea was this. If Jesus were to return and you were at the movie theater, he would not take you with him. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's so strange because I, I would be the one with snacks. If you're going to take someone, I got snacks. I got milk duds that I may or may not have bought at the concession stand. How about that one? Do we, must Christians buy all their concessions at the concession stand? I... But it wasn't just going to movies. It was, then it became our movies. No, it's okay for Christians to go, but what about our? And then the, the church did this real funky thing. They said, okay, here's the deal with our movies. If it's rated R for violence, that's okay. But if any point a nipple makes a cameo, if any point there's nudity, then it's not allowed. And I'm going... you see it. It's not whether we can or can't. It's are the decisions that we're making, is it impacting the weaker brother or sister around us? That's the issue. Your liberty has been bought and paid for in Christ Jesus. I'm talking, it is freedom, baby. It is everything you can imagine. But not all those things are the right things to be doing. I don't, I don't know what they are for you. I don't know. I wish, I wish I could have pages of applications. I wish I could say, you know, you should this, you should. I don't know. But God does. And I would argue he's even pressing many of us in the room as to what is driving the decisions of our life. Is it selfish ambition? Is it selfish desires? Is it me, me, me with no consideration for others? Are we placing the consideration, those of which Christ died for, mind you, are they becoming paramount in our decision-making process? I was laying in bed last night, um, late. Um, I struggle sleeping some Saturday nights before I have to preach. So I'm laying in bed and I'm listening to a, another preacher talk. And he, he just said, as I was drifting into sleep, he said these words, um, and mind you, this guy's preaching to church leaders across the nation. I'm talking big heavy hitters. This is a Christian conference, and he's speaking to the, the big boys and ladies in the Christendom here, okay? And he asks them this question. And it, it ripped through my mind. It just ripped from one ear to the next. And I, it, as I was falling asleep, it woke me up again. And here's the question. When's the last time you wept for the unsaved person? When's the last time you wept for someone who does not know Jesus? I mean, literally stopped you where you were and caused you to cry for them. That they might know God and understand the love that God has for them in Jesus. When's the last time that happened to you? And it just startled me. Awake. I bring no shame, no condemnation. I'm just saying, where's the motivation of your heart, Jeff? It's the motivation of your heart, Jeff. 
Stop by my office this week. I'd love to show you all of the books I have in my office. <laughs> I'd love to show you the knowledge that I've assimilated into my life. I'd love to, to just wow you <laughs> with my prowess of reading everything Christian. I'm telling you, that stuff matters not if my motivation is not to serve younger Christians, immature Christians, and non-Christians alike. If my motivation is altogether something other than that, I am an immature Christian. I mentioned earlier, I think the Lord wants to take us into a a pathway of maturity, a, a growth spurt, if you will. You remember that when your parents would buy you school clothes and by the end of the school year, you're like high waters, <laughs> like you're just growth spurt? Hear me, the Lord is going to do that in this next season. This is not, this is not I think so, I believe it to be so, or I want it to be so. This is what he is going to do. And the first thing for us to understand is what is motivating everything that we do. Is it birth? I mean, it's... For God so loved the world that he gave his son. The motivation for Jesus was love, not, um, you know, back in Genesis 3, that's right. I, I did say there's going to come another one who's going to be the seed of a woman who's going to step on a serpent's head and, and secure salvation. For, it wasn't birthed out of all of that, the knowledge of that. It was birthed out of his love for the world. Dead horse, beaten. Agreed? I mean, I could go one more lap if you want. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying not to because I love you guys, and I know we got to get out, go eat some ham <laughs> or some turkey legs or something. We're going to go. We're going to continue our worship at lunch, yes, at some point. So I don't want to keep us here longer than we need to. I'm just asking, did we get it? Did we get it? It's not right or wrong, can we or should we, or, or can we or can't we, it's, it's what's driving this, what's driving everything. Okay, so I'm done. All right, so I'll, I'll leave us with that. The band is returning. We're going to go back into a time of worship, and what a wonderful opportunity for the Lord, who, who I believe has already begun to speak to us, to continue. Now, this is really, really cr crazy. So when I became a Christian, um, uh, I went to a church. I don't know how to explain this, but it was a church who, who not just believed in the role of the Holy Spirit, but believed in the Holy Spirit. Believed that the Holy Spirit comes to talk and minister and do things that, that humans alone can't do. So I come from that kind of growing up. And so I'm saying that to say this, that in these next few moments, it is my belief that the Holy Spirit will come and he will, he will begin to talk and speak to you in a language you'll understand, you'll know what's happening, but I, I need you to hear this. This is not your idea. It's not great thoughts that you're somehow bringing to the top of your mental faculties. This is in fact the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's him. It's his desire for you. And as we worship and as others begin to sing and God begins to talk to you, the question I have for you is will you listen? What is he asking of you? Is it, is it confession? Lord, you, I, I make most of my decisions based on how it impacts me, myself, and mine. I 
no regard for others. I have no regard. Am I making all of those? Or, or, or Lord, everything that you lead me in my path, every issue of my life, is it drawing out of me a witness to Christ that is so compelling others want to grow in it or come to know it altogether? I don't know. So maybe it's confession. Lord, I don't do that. Maybe it's like, hey, I... I, I uh, Thank you for showing me this, Lord. As the Bible says, I was once blind, but now I see. Now that a person can see, they can walk better. They can see better. They can navigate life better. We sit here in this place. God, thank you for showing this to me that I can see now. I worship you. I thank you. I praise your name. Jesus. I mean, all that. Okay, so that's what happens next. And, and for others, it's, it's prayer. It's like, God, I, I'm an older Christian. It has nothing to do with like, the color of your hair or anything. But it's like, I'm an older Christian. I want to be used to mature others. I want to be used for the young people in this church. I want to be used for people who are coming to faith for the first time. I'm like, use me, spin me. And that becomes a prayer. To, I, don't, I don't know what happens next. But I know this, the Holy Spirit does. That was a huge upsell, wasn't it? I'm like, I'm really trying to sell you on this. I just need you to know when he talks, it's a thing. It's a real thing, and for thousands of years, people have obeyed that voice, and it has changed their lives forever. It is not just your great idea. The Lord is speaking to you. Are you hearing me? <laughs> You're like, we want to hear him, Jeff. Shut up so that I can hear him now. <laughs> okay. Whatever. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the words of Paul writing to a, a young church in Corinth who's coming off the rails truly some days. And, and you come in and you just, you, begin, you could have laid legalism in front of them. You could have laid rules and law in front of them. Do this, don't do that. But you didn't. In your great care, Lord, you came and you brought instruction scaffolding, if you will, of our lives that would allow us to grow to the next thing. You did that for the Christians in Corinth. You're doing that in our lives now. We ask God that you have your way, that you come and you have your way, that you make a way. Sometimes in spite of the obstacles in our own lives, God, that you would just push them aside, that you'd make a way. God, we give you permission to change our thoughts and our opinions. We give you permission to become Lord in our life. We give you permission to yield to your good plan for our lives. God, we confess to you that we have for many years walked around with a great knowledge of who you are, but have not loved others well. And, and we ask, Lord, that you correct that today in Jesus' name, that we love others from this day forward well. That it is both of these things that will cause your church to continue to grow. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.